Thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast. Once again, I'm with orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist, Dr. Grant Garcia. Please check him out at grantgarciamd.com. Dr. Garcia, unbelievable. We are end of another year with great information this past year. Just give us a quick recap and your thoughts on the year that was and as we wrap up 2022 and get really excited about 2023. Well, you know, you will hear about this in the, uh, the summarized podcast at the end of this, but, you know, it's been a great year. We've talked about anything from wearable technology to what it takes to be at the next level uh, to behind the scenes of sports medicine surgery uh, to behind the scenes of being in the sports field and uh, professional athletes uh, anywhere from you know ACL meniscus cartilage surgeries and the innovations we have there uh, to shoulder and elbow injuries so it's been a wonderful year to hear about all the updates and the advances in the world of sports medicine and orthopedics and have a lot of fun too because we talked a lot of, about a lot of great events you know anywhere from the Super Bowl to just recent World Cup to the Kraken uh, it's been it's been a really great run and I'm looking forward to the updates and the new things we're going to do next year if there's something that stands out for you from this show, go back, listen to our other shows for the entire show. When we talked about ACLs and robotics and virtual reality and, and uh, wearable technology and what it takes and all of these different things that we discussed. And, you know, one of my favorite was internal bracing. You know, I was just, you know, just super fascinated by that whole conversation. Was there something in particular that really stood out for you? Like, man, I can't wait to utilize this for my patients. All the great things that we talked about this past year. I think for me, it's just the wearable technology in general. You know, where are we going to go with the future? Um, and we'll probably update this on in later talks. Uh, but, you know, what what devices are there out there that are making our athletes even better, that are allowing us to track athletes, prevent injuries, those type of things? Because that, to me, is really the future of sports medicine. Um, and then, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum in our ACL talks, but uh, the technology to heal ACLs that are torn or to internally brace ACLs that are torn and get patients back faster with a more natural ACL uh, is a really impressive new technology that's innovative and is continuing to improve. Even in my practice, I've noticed a huge change over the last six months or so with some of this technology. And I'm looking forward to giving updates on this next year because I think that it's going to be even more innovative. And we're on a horizon, hopefully, for ACLs where we can have reconstructions still, but reduce the numbers of reconstructions that we do and reduce the long-term comorbidities that are associated with that. All right. Before we get started with our recap of 2022, some of our favorite moments in our shows picked out by Dr. Garcia. I personally want to thank all of our listeners for joining us and spending time with us and hopefully learning a little something along the way. Dr. Garcia, last thoughts before we send our listeners to our recap of the 2022 show. Well, I just want to, again, thank our listeners as well. You know, we had a lot of fun on this show. Um, and hopefully you were able to uh, take away some stuff from the show that you wouldn't see in the normal news or normal articles, you know, sort of behind-the-scenes information. And hopefully it was intriguing for you uh, to better understand uh, the injuries that you or friends may have had because I know a lot of my personal friends, neighbors, et cetera, that have had injuries that we talk about on the show. That's why I bring them up. 
uh, because I have, you know, you're at a party and people ask me, you know, tell me about this. I heard about this thing, heard you doing this. And I thought maybe the rest of the world or less the people that rest of the listeners would want to hear it. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for listening. We really appreciate your um, support and we're looking forward to giving you a lot more in 2023 uh, and in the future. So thank you. It's been a pleasure working with you, Dr. Garcia. With further, without further ado, here is some of the clips of the best of our 2022 show. We've been really thinking about smartwatches and these consumer uh, wearables, keeping track of fitness levels going back to the 60s and even way beyond that. Dr. Garcia, when, when you talk about these consumer wearables, what is some of the technology that's out there that's exciting for all of us, but also uh, the fact that it's really useful for you and in your field? So I think we're, you know, you did a great job introducing that topic. I think that what the patients and people out there need to understand is that you guys only see the tip of the iceberg, right? This is a multi-billion dollar market and athletics is the spearhead. The... Um, and we can even get into, you know, how surgeons are starting to use these type of things as well on their daily routine, which I just had a meeting about this recently. Um, but just to talk about the athletes more. I mean, these wearables have been out for, you know, we always talk about the early on technology and, you know, counting your steps, but that is, that is not what we're using them for now. You know, those are obviously fun things for the standard daily patient to use. You know, I wrote, I did my steps today. I did my workouts today. But what we're looking at is how can we get players and athletes to last longer? I mean, we've talked about this before. Longevity is key to sports and key to, you know, these continual records we're seeing and key to seeing these athletes that are, that are beyond their prime still continuing to be in their prime. And wearable technology is really the sort of the, the thing that's hidden behind the scenes that is helping the trainers and the departments to do this. Um, and we can go back and forth and have discussions about it, but you have people like Tom Brady, you have <laughs> LeBron James, you have guys like Vince Carter, you know, yeah. you have just names there that are, that performed at a high level for much longer than we'd ever seen from athletes. And we talked about the money they spend on their bodies, et cetera. But really it's this technology that's helping not only these high level athletes, but athletes in general. I mean, one of the, for instance, I cover a football games for my high school uh, on Mercer Island and the trainers have uh, helmet collision monitors in all the helmets. Wow. So when a concussion or a helmet hit is above the level of what's considered normal for a normal hit, it registers, it has a player's number on it, and they can pull the player out right away. And that's just the basic level high school with high school budget. And that's real-time you know, information? That it, How does that get communicated from point A to point B to the coach in real time? It's an automatic... Uh, thing when it gets hit, the alert goes off. The, the sensor break, the sensor goes off, and it goes onto the handheld device that that they have. Um, and it says this person was hit too hard, you know. And here's the level it was hit. And if you're worried about it, you know, obviously if it's a malfunction of the helmet, then you don't worry about it too much. But most of the time, you pull the player out, you do an exam, do a concussive exam, like we've talked about on the field, yep. and see if they qualify or not. This type of information is is pretty much that biofeedback that you're looking for, right? This is what we this is the holy grail of athletics. I mean, I think that this combined with, you know, procedures and supplementations and biologics that we're able to do for athletes, this is really what's going to keep our athletes healthier, longer and be able to do the right amount of training. I mean, we could go on and on. There's 
there was a, you know, one of the companies that one of the doctors I worked with when I was in uh, residency used to do this for pictures, and it was a sleeve that they wore, and it showed them if they were, they were fatiguing or adding too much valgus to their arm, which could increase the risk of a Tommy John injury. Mm. It tells you, you know, number of pitches, and you don't have to worry about having somebody scorecard it. It's completely built into the algorithm, you know, and there's different grading systems. You know, this is going to give give teams real-time information to know, is this athlete fatigued? You know, they have sensors in the pads to know whether or not they're getting hit too hard, whether or not they're sweating too much, whether or not they lost too much fluids. I mean, there's things that the biggest concern with all these is there's too much data. So what do we do with it? Because at a, in like a single game in the end, the professional sports, you're getting hundreds and thousands of pieces of data. So is that important or not? Do you know what I mean? If you monitor someone's heart rate every single minute for an entire game and you do that for all the players on the field, what does that mean? And is it, we got to figure out these algorithms to calculate is this injury or not? So it's using computers, but also very intelligent people in the technology field to find a way to do this. But this is one of the hottest markets in the country, especially for athletics. There's some reports out there that by 2025, one in every three adult in America will wear a fitness tracker. Uh, the global wear, uh, wearable fitness trackers market was valued at $38.68 billion in 2020 is projected to reach over $124 billion by 2028. Um, so, you know, this entire industry is booming and along with that technology. And, and I just want to kind of simplify a little bit. Um, I've worn a, a whoop before that goes on. It's a, you know, these smart watches that goes on the wrist and it would tell me how I slept, um, if I was ready, what kind of training I was ready for. So even basic stuff, you know, I, you know, I work out, I like to do kettlebells, I like to do certain things. And that tracking would tell me, say, hey, this is a day that you need to go light. You know, this is a day that, you know, you can really push it and, and push your limits. So even just basic information for someone uh, just like me, that's just a, you know, whatever, weekend warrior, recreational athlete, you know, I'm getting important information there to say, hey, go for it or maybe dial it back. Um, what is that importance for you that deals with so many different patients besides athletes, but just regular patients like myself to have that type of information and how um, how are you getting that information so you know again we haven't had the technology yet and unfortunately it's hard as a surgeon to have time to kind of review data like that but i think where the future is lying at is how do we treat our patients as a holistic approach you know and i think it honestly is probably going to be more like the primary care setting where you know a patient comes in they say i'm not feeling well i'm not doing well and you're like okay well let's figure out a way that we can use these tracking devices okay well i can see here you've not been sleeping well for the last two weeks that doesn't seem to be working well for you. Your heart rate has not elevated enough. Um, and figuring out this holistic approach that says, okay, this person needs to work on these different things. Or, you know, some of these watches have saved people's lives because they've had arrhythmias or something else and they've been wearing the watch or the tracker or something else and it's seen it. And there's, there's, there's numerous articles out there about this in terms of these cases. But what's really cool is this actually goes into the orthopedic field we have implants now that have trackers built into them that can tell us how the patient's using them, the wear patterns, what the cycles they can do, if there's kinematics or off. I mean, these are pretty new. Um, but again, this is a way that, and for research purposes, you can have a basically harmless, small, additional implant put into your implant, and we can see how, how the patients are walking, is their gait right, et cetera. It's more on the replacement side of things, but that's where usually where it starts, and then the technology continues to move on. Um, but, you know, the, the wearable technology thing is not just 
the average Joe population. It goes into surgeons, it goes into surgeries, athletics, professional, semi-pro, and everything. It's just it's a huge topic and a huge uh, huge market. You know what I'm hearing is that it's really a personalized healthcare. Right, you know, for that individual, um, is that yeah. something that you're asking at this point? And and I know you mentioned that there's, it's you know, it's hard to get all of that information right now. But is this something that if you know you have a patient that wears uh, that type of technology, that you will ask them for any of that information, or, or is that something that maybe um, will be something that you know surgeons and um, you know doctors in the future will ask uh, their patients of? I think in the future, it'll be something like, you know, what it needs to be for most of us in the healthcare field, given the time constraints that we're all given, uh, would be some way to have like an app or a printout that shows like a summary of how you've been doing, you know, not monitoring the day by day, but like, okay, come back and show me how you're doing as an athlete in terms of all of this stuff. And then it gives me a printout shows like, oh, you know, you've been, you've been down from this month with your sleeping up with this month and your exercise. Okay. Clearly your exercise VO2 max, your heart rate elevated clearly you're doing well after the surgery you're able to go to a level that you weren't able to go to beforehand you know especially if like we can get printouts of like two years and i could see what happened with them injured beforehand and how they were able to exercise maybe not as much and exercise afterwards you know i've been i've been injured and had to come back from an injury and i've already noticed even with my apple watch um that my fitness level has increased to the level it was before the injury if not higher and so i'm able to tell that just on myself so i could see i could easily extrapolate that to my patients um, and that's just on the that's a basic level. That's just the the day to day stuff. So ideally, you're, you're you're mentioning that information relayed directly into patients' health records could be beneficial for all parties, uh, if and when, not if I guess when we get to that point. Um, some of the concerns, you know, is this going to be, you know, where does HIPAA kind of fall into this and security and what's compliant? I, I may I may be going down a rabbit hole with this, so just let me know if I am. You know, I don't think going to a rabbit hole, this is a, that, what you just mentioned there is probably the number one concern of everyone. You know, does someone want an Alexa in their house listening to everything they're saying and then all of a sudden they go on their Amazon purchase list and it's all listed there, yep. you know? Or, and so being tracked is never someone, is most of the patient population is not happy with that. Um, the question comes in, you know, are you releasing your records to your doctor so he can make you, he or she can make you feel better? I think patients are more amped, amped to do that. But, you know, they would want to, they probably would want to release it to a hospital yeah. or a physician's office. You know, I think releasing it to like, oh, I work for Facebook. Can I have your data? People are not going to be pleased with yeah. that. So it just has to be, it has to, it has to be done in the appropriate manner. And I think it will have to be because all of these applications, anytime I use new technology, the number one thing they tell you is it's HIPAA compliant. So it has to have HIPAA compliance with it. So that comes hand in hand. But the the trust in the application for certain people, it may take longer. But again, it's up to them. Again, everything in life, if you come to my office as a patient, you'll know I'm all about whatever the patient wants. And so if they're not in the, they don't want to be tracked or have information in that situation when that technology becomes available, you know, I'll utilize whatever resources they're willing to give me. How can you see uh, this being beneficial to, toward um, telemedicine? So this is a good one, one worth, you know, just for the standard vital signs. You know, you can say, yeah. hey, upload, you know, I got your watch on. We link it up to, to the application. It tells me all your your vital signs, how you're feeling. You know, it can tell heart rate if you're in pain, et cetera. Those are important things. And uh, that can be relayed. Or, you know, even with some of these new programs, I could send, you know, the potential future is like I can send 
reminders or physical therapy through the watch or something mm. else. You know, that's not out yet, but, yep. you know, remind you, okay, PT session today, do your exercises, you know, have a system set up through a company um, that does that. The, uh, the newer things, you know, we can do transplants and a lot of fancy things for the cartilage, but the stuff that's in Europe is really what's going to be coming here soon. And okay. I've done some consulting for some companies, but they're having these implants that basically, you know, car- transplanting someone's cartilage, like from a person that recently passed away, is a really safe procedure, but it's a it's a pretty big burden economically also because if they're expensive to put in, um, there's always a risk of you know infection, et cetera. And again, very good success rates, but not 100%. There are more and more companies working on, can we just have something that you make, synthetically 3D printed scaffold, you put in someone's bone, the bone grows back, but then right where the cartilage starts, the cartilage starts to grow back. Or can we have a paste that we make that's combining little cartilage bits with certain biological factors and paste that on to grow cartilage. And we are getting more and more articles in the literature showing that this is becoming closer to reality. Now we are not there yet. And again, a lot of this takes FDA approval. And while we may get a good technology, it could still be another 15, you know, two or three or four or five or 10 years away. It's coming. And that is where we're looking at. There are these ways that we can either save the cartilage you currently have and use your own cartilage or grow new cartilage from what we have for you. And we can do some of that already, but it's going to get even better, especially for smaller defects where the insurance won't usually pay for these fancy procedures in those type of situations, but those defects still may be painful. Can you envision something where, uh, you know, you just kind of inject something into the knee? I'm, I'm just using the knee as an example where you're trying to fill in cartilage and you're just kind of, you know, spraying something, uh, you know, like whether it's foam or, you know, for lack of a better word, that just kind of just fills in the gap and it'll be a procedure and you'll be like, okay, we, we filled it in. You're good to go and out the door you go? Yes, I think that that's, I don't know how far off we are, but that is the goal. The goal is, you know, the goal is ever, the goal is to do a, the end game goal is to have an injection that you don't have to look at. You don't have to do surgery. You just put injection in the knee in the office. You squeeze the material in there and it finds the areas that are damaged and tells your knee it's time to repair this. And then it finds a way to repair it with stem cells, etc. Yeah, We're pretty far away off of that. But the next step is a surgical procedure that is much more minimally invasive that we can go in there, find the hole, inject this material, you know, fix the bone. Cause sometimes the bones involved too fix the bone and regrow the cartilage with this sort of gel foam matrix material using both your own biologics, so your stem cells or PRP, and then also the growth factors in there. Because again, they have to be told that it's time to grow cartilage, right? And they've got to have those mechanisms that take, teach them to grow cartilage. So yes, I mean, we're on, the, we're on the track, but it takes first growing a scaffold that will regrow this before we have an injectable gel. So again, this is, uh, this is all fascinating stuff and it gets pretty nitty gritty. Um, but you know, there is stuff out there and we're getting better and better. I mean, we are so much better than we were 10 to 15 years ago at helping patients. We catch them earlier. The other thing is more doctors are trained in this now before, you know, there were very few people that knew how to do this stuff. And so a lot of doctors, you would see you and be like, Oh, there's a hole in your car. There's nothing to do about it. Mm. Now we're way more aggressive. So the number of patients I can help that are in their twenties and thirties that I take care of on an everyday basis is much higher than what you would normally see previously. And again, more people, as my partners understand what I do, um, as people in the community understand what we do as cartilage surgeons, you get more in referrals and you can help people sooner. Let's talk about choosing medical providers as, uh, you know, they say 68% of patients say they're more likely to choose medical providers that offer the ability to book, change, cancel appointments online. So as we wrap it up, let's just talk a little bit uh, about that. 
So, yeah, I mean, that's important. I mean, online presence is crazy. I mean, it's it, it makes or breaks you in a big city like Seattle. Yeah. You know, if your online presence is poor, you're not a veteran here. You know, you see the patient numbers are not the same. You know, I, I probably have 90 videos online now, if not more, including our podcast. Yeah. Um, and so I want patients before they come in, like you mentioned, you know, my whole thing when I first started was I wanted to put so many videos together that my patients came to see me. They're like, oh, I already know him. Yeah. Right. Like he seems like he's a good guy. He seems like he's a nice guy. And that's the first <laughs> thing, you know, the, you want to feel comfortable with the person. And so, and I, and that's why I like these podcasts because I can be, you know, it's not so robotic, right? You're not like, okay, I'm going to talk about my doctor stuff only and yeah. then, you know, not miss the personality part. Because even though you may only see me three or four times, I want to make sure the patients, you know, enjoy talking to a surgeon and feel comfortable if something happens too. Because like, it's much easier if something happens if we get along to try to figure out the problem because I don't, I don't ever talk to patients about the best possible stuff, right? That's if you do well and we high five and my patients, who, if they heard this, they'll know I've said this many times, you know, that's the easy conversation. Yeah. The hard conversation is a problem, right? And how do you deal with the problem? Because that's not, that's the one where, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're the doctor in there and you just feel terrible, right? You just want to make this better. Yeah. And if you have, if your personality is something that matches with the patient and they can get through that, that's the best possible scenario. I mean, thankfully we don't have too many of those, but nonetheless, you know, the whole level has got to be comfortable. My patients and I tell them all the time is like, if you're not comfortable with me doing the surgery for you, or you're not comfortable with the situation then you sure as heck shouldn't do it with me. Um, and if you're comfortable with it, then you're going to do way better. And it's crazy because it really works. I mean, it's, it's patients are on board fully and they decide on elective surgery, they do so much better. It's a mental thing. And we that's a whole other show too. So we keep coming up with ideas. Yeah, we got plenty of ideas. And, you know, we've talked about it before and, and I'll mention it again. And whoever's listened to multiple shows, I'll always say the same thing. You know, you've mentioned, you know, go get second opinions. Make sure you're comfortable with your doctor. I mean, this is out of the doctor's mouth, not mine. You have said this yourself uh, over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you want your patients to feel a certain way, a certain comfort. And um, and be sure to come in and talk sports with Dr. Garcia and, uh, you know, uh, getting out in the water water and swimming and uh, I, I sent a friend of mine over there to uh, Dory and Dory I, I believe was uh, talking her head, talking your head off so she's a little jibber jabber <laughs> and uh, but it's just great and, and that, that says more about you and your personality and the comfort so uh, it's just it's just great to hear and um, and it's important it, it's more than just a cut and dry situation because um, we feel uncomfortable most of us feel uncomfortable already walking into your office not personal it's just we're usually going in there for a reason and and we're concerned and we want to feel better and we want to get better and you know when you can have other things put you at ease it, it just makes the whole uh, process so much better i couldn't agree more and i and i feel for the patients so you know the, the key here is and we'll say it again it make you feel comfortable but understand you know obviously you've got a problem so we got to figure it out um but you know here we're going to approach it the best we can give you the best possible tech we can that's the safest. Try to make sure we do everything the best um, that we can possibly do. And that's uh, what we keep striving for. So, Is there something in your field, right? And I know you guys work a lot of hours and there's a lot of pressure and all different levels of clients. You travel the world for training. What is something that really stands out for you when it comes to your profession? What it takes in my field, especially when you do sports, is it's a different you have to have a mindset, the right mindset. First off, the pressure cooker, right? You know, 
I remember a couple of days ago, I had a pretty high level baseball player. And the first thing the parents said to me, you know, dad's dad's standing next to the door. Mom's standing next to the door. Kids on the kids sort of upset because they just tore their Tommy John ligament. And all they all they want to know is if when I can get it back as soon as possible. Wow. Not even, you know, and, and it's, it happens all the time, you know, and it's not it's not their fault. They're really dedicated. They put a lot of money and time into the baseball. Yeah. Um, but it's a big deal. And you've got to sit down there calmly and you know, say, hey, listen, you know, I, a lot of times, at least in my practice, some of my partners, they'll send me the higher level athletes just because they don't. It's it's a lot of work to deal with the parents. Um, and it's not an, it's not a wrong thing. It's just that, you know, when you get to that level, everybody's invested. Right. Yeah. Is your parent, I'm a parent. If my kid's spending hours at the pool or hours playing baseball and they get hurt, I sure as heck want to be right there with the surgeon. What are we going to do? How are we going to make this better? You know, not just for me, but for the kid too. And uh, it's hard. And so you're, and that's even at the high school level, you know, uh, the people that you may not even make it to college. And then you get the college player and they're like, Hey, coach wants to talk to you, you know, all those other things. So it's not just the actual, you know, the surgery portion of it. I hate to say it is actually more of the easy part. It's the other stuff, managing expectations. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Every athlete you see, you have to manage expectations. You have to manage expectations in your surgeries. You cannot go in there and tell every single patient that you do surgery on that they're going to be perfect because that is not true. No matter how good you are. I worked with a lot of good surgeons. It is not the case. Okay. A lot of people do well. That's why we do sports surgery. That's why we do orthopedics because it's a very fulfilling option, but you got to be ready to take care of the hard stuff too. And if you can't, it's the same thing as an athlete. If you can't handle the pressure, then that's when the problems go awry or that's when patients are upset because something happens and they can't, their doctor's not taking on their onus or the responsibility of the challenge. You know, it's super easy. And I tell patients this all the time. It's super easy. If every single one of my patients in the office did amazing. If I had a hundred percent success rate, being a surgeon would be way too easy yeah. to be fairly honest with you. It's the hard part is that 5% or 10%, you know, or the kid that you did a mate, a perfect ACL on and re tears it. How do you deal with that? And that's the same thing with athletes. How do you deal with that tear of your own ACL and getting back to the next level when all the odds are against you? Or in my case, I'm the one that did the surgery, so I feel responsible. Even if there was nothing I did wrong, I did the exact same surgery for the last kid. Let's move on to uh, augmented ligament and, you know, fertilized ACL. I know what fertilized is, but what's a fertilized ACL? Oh, my gosh. We're going to open another can of worms here. So we'll try to make all this brief. Um, I would refer the listeners to our previous ligament uh, internal brace talk. That's going to talk a lot about this. Yep. But there's this talk of this new ACL, and it's been happening down in the South with this guy doing these ligaments. He's doing young patients' ACLs uh, with a combined a bone graft and a, an elixir of sort of marrow from you, stem cells, and putting them into the knee and doing ridiculous things in terms of rehab. So an ACL that requires a little bit more effort, the negative of the ACL is that it's also more expensive. So there's out-of-pocket costs of the patients. Yeah. But the data that he's showing right now is showing patients are back to full activities in under four months. And that's coming off a torn ACL. After torn, reconstructed ACL. Now, we've tried this in the past, and it's failed, where people have tried to get back earlier and everything else, and you have... You know, there's stories about someone coming back in three months and then they play one game and then they rip it again. Yeah. Um, and there's something called ACL repair that we're always trying to get better at. But again, there's been lots of negative press on that as well. Um, there are indications for it, but not often. But this fertilized thing is extreme. I just recently saw the talk on it. And at some point, I think in the next year or two, I'm going to bring it to practice here uh, in the Seattle area. But it's an option where certain patients who are younger 
You know, they're showing patients running at two months. I mean, sorry, at two weeks. Now, this, this is going to be a lot of pushback from orthopedic surgeons, but they're in clinical trials right now with this option. And if this is really can happen, the way it happens is it takes a soft tissue graft that normally would take six months to heal in. That's why you don't want to you don't run on something, you don't do anything crazy with these ligaments until they're fully healed into the bone tunnels. Yep. And basically by putting bone graft already in the tunnels, it's like speeding up the healing process by like two times. And they have MRIs showing it too. And so if there's something we can do, even if it's added cost to the patients because it's a little bit more fancy and insurance will cover it, part of it at least, they'll cover the ACL, but the extra bone graft stuff, this would be, for high-level athletes, this would be a game changer, right? It's not an everyday patient procedure, but if you're young and you're a varsity person can be recruited and you just tore your ACL and you have your, you know, at the end of the season, you have the next season coming up in four months and you want to get back and we have this crazy option to do it, that would be the person that you do it for. Uh, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, uh, I knew that was going to get you with that one. About two weeks ago, I was on online, uh, social media, um, you know, MIT is, you know, doing these robotic facial expressions and they wear th- the way they're reacting. And I'm like, okay, this is straight out of Terminator. We're all going to die and this is going to be crazy. But for your field and the purposes of your field, how important is the future of robotics going to be in uh, orthopedics? So... I think there's a couple ways you can think about it. One is like straight up robots. Like you hear people are operating, there's a robot actually operating and you're doing it from, you know, the the long-term goal would be to take, you know, some of the best surgeons you have and be able to give that access to other people, right? So you're in other places, overseas, et cetera, and you're able to do the surgery so that the person can have the best person and not have to worry about flying, you know, from India or from Japan and going to the United States or vice versa to see the best guy. That stuff, I think we're a ways out from that because obviously you have to worry about, you know, internet lag and those type of things. Um, the, the future, what we currently have is, you know, the sensors, the virtual reality. So there's implants that people put in, like some of the tone ear implants you can now that have like sensors. So they'll tell you how complacent the patient is, whether they're loading differently, how many, you know, when they're taking breaks, we can also monitor things, you know, speed of the implant and those type of things and look at wear patterns, even then it's completely safe to have that in the built into the implant itself. Um, and, you know, from the 3D printing model, that's an amazing, uh, that's that's a game changer over the last five years, I'd say. You know, I do shoulder replacements and I get a 3D printed model of the person's shoulder that I can work with on the outside during the surgery. So I can say, okay, this is exactly where this special guide will go. Mm. I've planned the whole surgery before I go in there. And then I have these augmented guides that are 3D printed with, um, and I can actually put the pin in the exact spot that I want to put it. It's way more precise even than doing it naturally. Like I, I can do it normally, but having this just adds even more precision, especially for the complex cases. And, you know, I'm doing these special osteotomies and we can, they can 3D print this guide with everything on there with all the cuts and then even have the little things you want to, if you want to add more surgeries to that actual cut, it can be all built into the guide for you. All 3D printed custom for the patients. I so, mean, this is a, this is pretty slick stuff. And you and you're playing the whole surgery ahead of time. You can see your whole template and you can adjust things. Like I just talked to one company from France and I was on the Zoom call with them. I'm like, okay, move this pin here a little bit more, blah blah blah. And you can like plan everything ahead. We discussed uh, a couple of shows uh, prior to this one uh, about telemedicine and some of the regulations that have changed since, uh, you know, we've been in this, you know, the COVID-19 world. Do you think that more regulations will have to change or be lifted, uh, especially if you're dealing with a patient maybe out of state or, you know, some kind of consulting? 
So I think the regulations always are in flux. Yep. You know, and you know, when COVID hit, obviously the regulations opened up to get patients access to care because they couldn't go in to see the doctors. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes it's what's first, the chicken or the egg. In this situation, you're like, is it going to be the data is released and then people feel uncomfortable and then we have to lock down more? Or is it going to be that the data is locked down and we have to slowly find ways to release it so we can get the information to patients? So it's usually the second one, but sometimes it happens in the first one. And then all of a sudden you get some complaints that I don't feel safe with my data. I don't want you to have all my data. I yeah. want it to be selective. And then you got to rewrite the book. But again, this is a, this is a far ways out and we really need good studies to show that benefits. You know, does me looking at your sleep habits for the next six months or your, your heart rate really going to change the management of my, of your problem? If it's not, then there's no point. Yeah. But I think where it comes into is like, we keep always going back to it. And I hate to mention just the athletes again, but it's really the athletes. It's, can I, my player, you know, have prevent my players from having season ending surgery? Can I prevent my players from fatiguing early and getting dangerous complications? I mean, you hear about all the football players that unfortunately have bad complications in, you know, high school, college level that sweat too much and have neurological complications. Can we prevent that with trackers on them to see if their heart rate jumps up? Cause you know, a lot of athletes, they just don't want to tell you when they're not feeling well. And then all of a sudden it becomes too late where their bodies can't compensate anymore. And that's what we really want to protect against. One of the things you mentioned also was the fact that everyone can have some kind of measurement in tracking on how they're feeling, including yourself. So as a doctor that may not be feeling great and you have this type of technology, is that something that maybe you can see your employer mandating saying, hey, we want to know if you're your best now before you go into a five-hour surgery? Yeah, that's a tricky uh, that's a tricky situation to be in. It's a tricky it's, question, right? It's tricky. <laughs> so, you know, background is, you know, you have to learn how to not be at your prime all the time as a surgeon. Because, yeah. you know, when you're in rest, you're getting one hour of sleep and they're expecting you to be at the top notch, you know. Um, but I'll talk about a very brief topic. Yep. So we just got, uh, the Navy SEAL came in and gave us a discussion. It's a company, high performance company that uses trackers on or, on surgeons and will tell their sleep patterns, how they're feeling, stress levels, cortisol levels, et cetera. And we'll come up with a game plan saying, hey, listen, you know, you're fatiguing out. You're not getting the sleep you need. You should probably figure out a way to make your body better because we're, we're kind of like that, that sort of high-level uh, professional that will push through anything. You know, I know many, many surgeons that have come into the office feeling really not their best and push through the day, yeah. uh, you know, with no, with no worries for outcomes for patients. I mean, this is not something that jeopardizes patients' health, but, you know, and, and if they were in the regular employment opportunity, they wouldn't have come in. Yeah. Surgeons are programmed, we're programmed at an early age that you don't feel well or you're hurt, you still come in. You know, I took, I took off like one sick day in 10 years. Wow. So if that gives you an example of the way it works. And I can tell you right now that I probably should have taken more um, but it's just the way you're programmed. Uh, it's the same thing as you are in the military type of style. And, um, you know, that's, what's really important is that we really need to, to test our doctors, you know, and the surgeons are at the highest level of stress, but they also have the highest, um, and the highest level of stress, highest level of perseverance through sort of negative factors. And they have a pretty important job and you want them at their best. And so if we, this company basically looks at all those things and will give recommendations and find ways to decrease burnout decrease, uh, you know, m hopefully not medical errors, uh, decrease uh, surgeon turnover, all those things, which happen, you know, you've been not paying attention to your body, not sleeping, operating late, 
doing all the things you can do and all of a sudden you just shut down and you just, you know, you're tired, you want to quit your job. Like that could have been prevented if we had given you the right resources. Yeah. And so that's what the company does. They did it at, um, at the Cleveland Clinic, a pretty big hospital, and they made some huge efficient changes uh, to the company and to the surgeons to make them more efficient. Uh, and more efficient is like more rested. Okay, it's time for you to go to sleep, you know, an extra hours. It seems silly that you have to tell adults, especially high-level professionals, to do this. But, you know, we're, we're normal people too, and we want to, you know, stay up late, enjoy a movie here or there. And it's good for us to understand that, you know, if we want to prioritize being our best, uh, those are things we have to do. You know, I know I've changed my habits even in the last uh, six to eight weeks with my tracker taking more advantage of saying, hey, listen, if I get this amount of sleep, I feel way better. How can I make myself better? Because that's what we're always trying to do, at least in my field and what I do is how can I make myself better? How can I have better outcomes? How can I reduce any medical errors? How can I do all those things? And that's what that helps me do. And I've already noticed a difference personally. I could just, I could see you know everyone getting kind of tracked and you coming in and say well, listen we saw your vitals before you came in where you know you're not up to uh, optimum we're gonna get you a Gatorade okay we're gonna get you some B12 we're gonna relax say hey, listen we got a massage his feet you know he's he's feeling a little stiff he didn't sleep well last night okay all right you know almost like a pit stop you know he's just kind of coming in getting you ready all right you're ready to go hit the road again so I know I'm making light of it but and it's uh, amazing that the Cleveland Clinic is taking that information and. Say, pretty much saying that we can be better by making sure that the people that work for us, uh, we take care of them and make sure that they're at their optimum performance. What is some of the other technology that's out there right now that uh, our listeners would be surprised to hear about and it's just exciting for you? Uh, well, I'm a swimmer, so I can tell you about these technologies came out. There's a heads-up display that's in your goggles and then some of the higher-level athletes are using it too for swimming. Um, and you will tell you your lap count and whether you're on pace and all your vitals will link into your smartwatch while you're doing it. And uh, a couple of days ago I was swimming over uh, and I, some guy pops up out of the pool and wants to show me his goggles because they were these new heads up displays. Yeah. But then I just read about them in a magazine too. So it's kind of interesting. So that's a new fun piece of technology that you can actually get your hands on. Um, they have a new something called the Tesla suit, not related to Tesla okay. uh, where it tells you about the body punches. And they think that this technology could, could increase the championship caliber of boxers by a significant amount um, because it's going to tell you, you know, how many punches you're taking, whether your form's off, et cetera. And those are just two examples. A, a buddy of mine got the virtual reality goggles and, uh, you know, he sent me a, 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 a video and he's uh, he's in his early 50s and he's like, man, I got this and uh, I'm just having a blast. And he's got the boxing game and he's coming in. And he's like, I, you know, I threw my shoulder out. I'm sweating. I, I'm doing all these different things. And so... It's so interesting how virtual reality, you know, being active is is changing. You know, it's not going to the gym and, you know, grabbing a punching bag. Obviously, there's huge benefits and just, you know, doing something like that. But being in his living room, being, you know, someone that's working full time, coming home late, maybe not have the time to run to the gym, put on his virtual reality headset, get his workout in and, and you know, and off you running. So just seeing where technology is going is really fascinating. I couldn't agree more. What is something that if you had to share with your listeners, you want to share with them? I think I would share this, um, especially for the athletes, but kind of anybody, you know, what it takes to get to what you want to do. You will be, there will be roadblocks and you don't know what they're going to be. It could be something academic. It could be something athletic. It could be something your family. It could be an injury. You know, there are going to be roadblocks. 
And really, it's how you deal with those roadblocks and making sure you do the research, get the right information to take care of that. You know, finding the right person to take care of your injury, who feels good about this, finding the right person counselor to take care of the academic side. Whatever it is that you're missing is a piece of you and is not going in the direction you want it to, find a way to correct that uh, with whatever it takes. And I guess whatever, what is it, what does it take versus whatever it takes? I think the people that separate themselves do whatever it takes, obviously within the realm of things to get to that next level. And mm. if you're willing to do that, a lot of times you could be successful. And again, as you mentioned before, and I, as I see all the time in all my, all my patients, success is measured in so many different ways. And really it's about how you impact the people around you. And in the end, the people that are remember you the most are your family. So if you do those things right, um, that's the most important. But again, just making sure that you stay on the course, that's the hardest thing. I mean, staying on track for any specialty in my job or being an athlete or anything, you know, that's the most important thing is stay on track, stay focused, and do what you love. Because if you don't love it, there's no point in doing it. Oh, 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 oh,